Anybody here ever have a hard time making a decision? Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's because of the um, plethora of options we have. I don't know if you realize this, but a recent uh, kind of idea in America is that over the last few years, we've begun to succumb to and suffer from affluenza. You know what affluenza is? That's having too much and too many choices. And they used as their poster child for affluenza, hamburger helper. When I was little, there was hamburger helper and hamburger helper. Those were your choices. In one grocery store, they found 47 versions of hamburger helper. We're like that life. Choices are everywhere. So sometimes it's the plethora of choices. Sometimes it's the amount of time we have. I don't know if any of you are this kind of person, but uh, you ever been to a restaurant, you're looking at the menu and everybody else is ready to order. And so the waiter, waitress says, are you everybody ready? And you're like, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we're ready. And you're not ready yet, but you go, okay, fine. We'll go ahead and we'll order. And so everybody orders and you figure you've got about four seconds to figure out what you want. Anybody else ever been there? Okay. And you get to you and you just make a decision and then you regret it the entire time you're waiting for your food. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord, right? Or sometimes like when I, uh, recently we went, I mentioned we went to a Good Friday Chris Tomlin concert and I got online to buy tickets and you get on there and I don't know if any of you buy concert tickets or event tickets or, you know, tickets at TPAC or any of that, but you get on there and you pick your seats. They let you do all that now online and you do that. And then this countdown clock starts. You've got four and a half minutes to finalize your purchase. And in those four and a half minutes, I question everything about my life. Do I really want to be in the mezzanine? Is that too car? I mean, I wonder who's sitting on each side of me. Do I really want to go see Legally Blonde the musical? Is that really the life choice that I want in my life? I mean, like you start to question. The answer to that is no. But you start to question all those things happening, right? Choices can be difficult. Or what about the movie to watch as a family on a Friday night? You end up scrolling for two hours and then just going to bed. Right? Anybody ever been there, done that, right? Or watch 14 previews and go, no, 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 I don't know. And just keep going. Or the most famous, perhaps, the most infamous, perhaps, you get in the car, you start to drive to eat, not knowing where you're going to eat. Where are we going to eat tonight? Anybody struggle with that? Y'all are acting like you don't. Marriage is out there, anybody? Today we're going to talk about the most important decision you can make. And it's a time in the life of Elijah when Israel was having to make some really difficult decisions as well. It's a time when everything we've been talking about with Elijah comes to a head. This is the pivot point. This is the top of the mountain, both figuratively and literally in the life of Elijah. And it is a moment that will determine the history of that people, of Elijah as a prophet, and today could be a determining factor for your life. Now, I know preachers talk like that all the time. They kind of oversell sometimes what's happening. But this decision is ultimately the decision that changes the trajectory of your life forever. And how you live with it. On this Graduate Sunday, when... Graduation comes and you hear about future plans, you hear about past accomplishments. It's always a great moment to think on our own lives about what the future holds for us. 
And it all comes down to a choice that Elijah gave the people of Israel. Elijah chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse somewhere. That's why I have these now. Verse 17, that's what I thought. All right. Starting in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, now just a little background here. We followed this story throughout. Do you remember when they first encountered Elijah in chapter 17, Elijah comes to Ahab and basically says, it will not rain in Israel or the surrounding area until I say it's going to rain. And so at the beginning of chapter 17, we skipped over this story, but there's a time when Elijah and the prophet Obadiah, they have a conversation and Elijah basically says, I want to see the king. And Obadiah is like, I can't. Do that, really? I don't want to do that because if I do that, I am following God. But if I do that and introduce you to the king and then you run away and no rain comes, he's going to kill me. And so let's figure this out. But at some point, he finally convinces him, Obadiah, this is what God has called me to do. You need to go tell him. And this is the message that Isaiah, I mean, Elijah is going to have for the king. It is simply this. Elijah is going to tell the king, rain is about to come. Now, if you remember, that's an important thing because... Ahab had chosen to take the people of Israel in a direction to worship Baal, who was supposed to supply the rain. And by God showing up in the God showdown with Baal, the false God, not God Baal, non-existent God Baal, God had obviously won. But he basically said, I will shut up the heavens. It doesn't matter what you do to worship Baal. It's not going to come. And so Obadiah basically says, hey, Ahab, uh, Elijah wants to come see you. And instead, it says, Elijah is confronted by Ahab. Ahab goes to him. Ahab says to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? That's a pretty harsh accusation. He looks at him and basically says, you see the famine we're in? Hey, I don't know if y'all heard this or not, but... There's a little issue with inflation recently. Y'all, y'all heard that? Anybody experienced that? I thought the gas was going down and then had the sticker shock of going to fill up again. And right now, the attempt is, and we're not going to litigate this here, the attempt is for everybody to blame somebody else for the inflation, right? Democrats are going to blame Republicans, Republicans, Democrats. People are going to blame each other back and forth. They all don't want to be responsible for it. And so Ahab says, this is not my fault. This is your fault, Elijah. Look what you brought on your land. And I love Elijah's response. By the way, I mentioned this is like a middle school boy's favorite Bible story because it's got trash talking. It's got confrontation. It's got potty humor. It's got blood and guts. And fire from heaven. I mean, that is an ultimate story. Amen? All the middle school boys reply to that, right? So Elijah comes to him and says, Amen. It's not me. I'm not the ruin of Israel. Another translation is the troubler of Israel. That's not me. It's you. It's you, it's your father's family, it's the whole lineage of kings of the northern kingdom because you have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. You have followed the false gods. So don't put this at my feet. God shut up the heavens, not because I'm a prophet. I'm the messenger of the Lord God Almighty. What he said is, it's because of your choices and your leadership and what you have done that you have led the people to a place where they've experienced famine for over three years. Can I tell you what usually happened to people that confronted kings this way in that time period? They did. Like, on the spot. 
But Elijah says, and i got something for you to do. He says, go get all your guys. Tell them to meet me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Get all of them and bring Israel with you. Bring a whole assembly. Tell everybody to come because God's going to show out for a minute. All right. So here's what he says basically is, you remember how you overthrew everything? You remember your wife Jezebel? He mentions her by name. Probably the most infamous female name in all of scripture, Jezebel. He married who would have been not only the daughter of the king of Sidon, but probably also a priestess in the religion, the cult of Baal. And so he married her. She brings in all this stuff. One of the ways he prepared, uh, Ahab did for her to come is he built a temple to her God. They have that. They worship that there. She killed and slaughtered, we find out in the verses before this, hundreds of prophets of God, of Yahweh, and replaces them with prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. And what she does with the prophets of Asherah, that must have been a big old table. 400 of them are eating at her table. And that literally just means they are close to her and they have her ear. He said, go get them all. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. How long will you wobble How long will you limp is the actual word between two different opinions. That's the question before the people of Israel. And can I tell you something? We'll get to this much more in a minute. That's the question before you and I this morning. How long will we waver between the one true God and whatever gods we have created in our own lives? But the people didn't answer him a word. That's a pretty straightforward question, right? Who are you going to serve, God or Baal? What do you want to do? And the people don't answer. Now, there are a couple of things that's interesting here that we'll find out in Scripture as we keep reading the story. There's a, there's a play here with hearing and speaking and a God being able to do that. And how the silence of the opposition of God shows his preeminence and his involvement in our lives. But at this moment, they don't speak because they don't have an answer for him. And they don't know which one they're going to follow. They're going to say, let's let it hang in the balance. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men, not to count the 400 Asherah. And so what you have here is I am me against 850. Just so you know, there are around 100 other prophets of God. They have been split into two groups of 50 hiding in caves, being fed by bread and water from Obadiah to keep them safe in the midst of all of this. So those are awaiting hiding in caves, but Elijah is the one standing there. And he said, let's just set up a showdown. You get two bulls. They choose one for themselves. I'll let them pick their own, cut it into pieces, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. So he says, we're going to do the same two things. We're going to build an altar of fire. We're going to put a bull, cut up in pieces on top of it, but neither one of us is going to provide the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, And I will call on the name of the Lord. By the way, you notice the difference there? 
You call on your God, I'll call on the God. The God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, that's fine. By the way, that nonchalant kind of thing. Like if you ask somebody how they're doing and they go, fine. Guys, if you ask your wife, how you doing? Fine. It means noncommittal, not good, right? Noah's been married four months. He knows that already, right? It's longer than four months. What are you, half a year, six months? Oh, that's not good, Noah. Sorry, Hannah. <laughs> Seven months. All right, there he is. <laughs> he rethought his shrug of the shoulders. All right. That's kind of the answer. It's like, all right. And basically what they're saying is, let's see who wins. They're not like, yeah, man, let's go. We'll like this. Set it up. Bring it in. Turn on the Thunderdome. Let's go. It's like, okay, whatever happens, happens. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Let me ask you a question, all right? Do you remember when he set up the stage? He basically says, whichever God brings fire wins. So he gives them the advantage. Basically, if they do it and the fire comes, it's over. Now, he knows he ain't got to worry about anything because he serves the one true God. But other people might consider this a risk. This is giving the other team the football in overtime of football in the playoffs. You may not get it back. You may not get to play anymore. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. There was no answer. And they danced around the altar they had made. Can I tell you an interesting thing about this word danced? It's there to show you that one of the things that's happening is that they are escalating in their worship. It's a simple call out, and then it's a lot of them calling out, and then it's calling out a lot. No answer, no voice, no sound, nothing there. And then also they begin to say, we got to ramp it up, and they begin to dance. The word dance there, by the way, is the same word that is used a few verses earlier when he says, how long will you waver between two gods? How long will you dance between two gods? How long will you limp between two gods? How long will you waver? And it says here, they're limping. That's the word. They are trying. They are doing everything they can. They are dancing around, waving around, doing everything they can to make this happen. And at noon, Elijah, now I know this isn't what the case is, may be. And by the way, you have to get out of your mind this picture of like a big Mount Everest kind of mountain. This would have just been a raised plateau. Like you wouldn't look at it and go, man, that's a majestic mountain. But they would have called it the Mount, Mount Carmel, because it would have been a raised plateau. It would have been a place that sacrifices have been done for hundreds of years. They would have all gathered around. And as they're gathered around there, I know this is the case because they didn't have these back there. I get the picture of Elijah just sitting over in a lawn chair watching. Right, you know, just... Relaxing, hanging out. And about noon, he starts to say, Hey, <laughs> what's going on, guys? Doesn't seem to be working here. And you have, in this passage, in these verses, some of the greatest content in the entire Bible. For those of us that are purveyors of the arts of sarcasm, this is the height of it right here. For those of you that like trash talk, this is it. This past couple of weeks, my two favorite NBA teams play in a playoff series. 
I've been a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson Warriors fan for a while. I just like the way they play. But I've also, since they've moved to Memphis, been a Grizzlies fan. And one of the things that was enjoyable about that series was the trash talk back and forth between them. At the end, they all hugged and talked about their respect for one another. But in the midst of it, they were going at it. Elijah could go at it with any of them. He used to say Larry Bird. How many of you know Larry Bird? Was the best trash talker that ever existed. Elijah could go toe-to-toe with Larry. All right? He says to them, wait a minute, maybe you're God's heart of hearing. Why don't you shout a little louder? Why don't you raise your voices? Maybe he can't hear very well. Maybe your God has a physical impairment. Or wait, maybe, maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's pondering it. Maybe he's thinking about what he should do as if a God is indecisive. Or maybe he's wandered away. Now let me just tell you that different translations of different Bibles handle that particular verse in different ways. It does not say wandered away. It says he turned aside. Which is a euphemism for something else that was happening here. Does anybody else have a different translation in the Bible you're looking at before you? Traveling. Traveling. He's relieving himself. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. That is what Elijah says to him. And I, I don't, I mean, really, I know that I don't really kind of do this stuff normally, but this is what Elijah said. The way that he says it doesn't mean number one either. That he's indisposed and will be for a while. I told you it's middle school boy's favorite story here. Or maybe he's traveling. He's on the road. Like William Whalen on the road again. Or just traveling. Or maybe he's asleep and you just can't wake him up. I just want you to think about this, alright? Our God... Isn't indecisive. He knows what he's doing. He has no trouble hearing. He does not eat and does not need to turn aside or wander away. He is never away from us and he does not sleep nor does he slumber. Isaiah basically, I mean, says, Elijah basically says to him, What are you doing? Where's your God? Next verse. They shouted even more loudly. They cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. Can I just tell you this real quick? This is a side note. This is free. This isn't part of our main points this morning, but I want you to hear this. Just because you're spiritually fervent doesn't mean that you're following the one true God. These guys were doing, I mean, they're cutting themselves. Blood is everywhere. They're shouting loudly. They're dancing around. They're doing everything they can from morning all the way to the evening, three, four, five in the afternoon. They are going and going and going. And at the end, there is no sound. There is no answer. There is no one paying attention because they are serving and going towards the wrong God. Scripture continues by saying, so then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So the people approached him. I have this vision, and I think this is going on. I think 
that they're still doing all their antics while Elijah just says, hey, y'all come over here for a minute. He repaired the Lord's altar. The symbolism there is unbelievable. This is a place that sacrifices used to be given to the Lord, and now it's a place that Baal's worshipers have been sacrificing. The Lord's altar is either in disrepair from misuse or is in disrepair because someone intentionally broke it. Either way, the worship of the Lord has deteriorated in this place. He rebuilds it. He is in the process, and we'll see in a moment, of rebuilding the faith of Israel in the one true God. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying Israel will be your name. He took the 12 stones to them. He put them around just like Joshua did when he crossed over the river into the promised land. He put those stones there and said when your children and your grandchildren and your great children ask about this, this is the story you are to tell. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. And then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons of water. That's a lot of water for them in that day when they didn't have faucets anywhere to go. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water parts with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. And he said, now do it a second time. And then he said, now do it a third time. And they did. That's an important point in verse 35. So the water ran all around the altar He even filled the trench with water. That four-gallon trench is filled. The sacrifice is soaked. And at the time for the offering evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, just another little side note that you need to know about this scene. When he approaches the altar, he's going to call on God. We know, spoiler alert, we know what happens here, right? We'll read it in just a second. But you may or may not know that Baal, the Baal that he's talking about here, had two or three functions as the God of their system. One was that he was to be the fertility God. The way he brought fertility was to bring rain, but it also came not only with rain, but with thunder and lightning. And he was considered the God who would bring fire through lightning. So this is a direct confrontation. And Elijah prays, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Why? So that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Anytime you pray, and scripture talks about in the name of Jesus, but what, it, what, what is meant there, what is understood there is, anytime you pray with the intention that the renown and the name and the worth of God will be expanded and his kingdom will be advanced, those are the prayers that are answered and lined up with God's intentions. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, And the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. It was a consuming fire. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 
Now here's an interesting thing. If you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we talked about last week too. Elijah's name literally means Yahweh is my God. So you have L on the first end, E-L, that is God. You have Jah, J-A-H on the end. That is the shortened form in their language of Yahweh. And in the middle you have that I, which is the prefix for mine. So his name is Yahweh is my God. Okay, you read it kind of backwards. They start proclaiming, the Lord is God. The Lord is our God. The goal and the purpose of his life was to proclaim that Yahweh is the one true God. And here they are announcing it. Verse 40, then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not even let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. That's a pretty interesting story, right? It's fascinating. Lots of drama, intrigue, this showdown. And today I just want to pull one point out of it. One. Now in seminary they taught me most of them have three. This one has one. All right? And the one point is found actually in the very beginning of this. In verses 21. When it just simply says, Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Here's the most important decision you will ever make in your life. For our graduates, for anyone that's past graduation, anyone that is walking in life, living in life. And it is simply this. If the Lord is God, follow him. That's a good place for A, and thanks, Bob. If the Lord is God, follow Him. Life is as simple as that. But we live in a world where we want one foot in and one foot out. We want to straddle the fence and be able to have a little bit of both. We want a God on Sunday that we can pray to and can bring fire from the mountain. But we want a God through the rest of the week that allows us to do what we want to do in order to try to attain what we want to attain. But if the Lord is God, follow him. What he basically says to Israel is stop trying to live a double life. Stop trying to do two or three different things. Focus completely on the one true God and live for him. Or if not, then live completely for something else. And what I would say to you today is, if you do not believe that the Lord is God, then go after whatever it is you think will bring you fulfillment. If it's money, go hard after that. Cheat, lie, steal, do whatever to get it. If it's fame and fortune, sacrifice whatever you need to to find that, to go after it. If it's something other than God, then jump all in. Because this is what I want to tell you. Following the Lord is a terrible hobby. Matt Chandler, who's pastor down in Texas, says church is the worst hobby you can imagine. You have to get up early on a weekend morning. You have to come get dressed and come to church. Sometimes you have to park and walk in. They're always asking to do stuff and volunteer without paying you for it. They're always pressuring you about stuff. The guy gets up for 45 minutes and makes you feel terrible about yourself for most of that time. And then you walk out and you say, I'm going to come back and do it again. It's a terrible hobby. But if the Lord is God, it is what we're called to do is to follow him. Whatever it is that God has called you to do in following Him, go at it completely. 
Don't be double-minded. James, chapter 1, verse 5. Verses 5 through 8, it says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. We live in a generation of double-minded people. We live in a generation of Laodiceans, the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. And he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. And because you are lukewarm, I'm going to do what? Spit you out of my mouth. I would rather you were one or the other, but because you were neither, you think you are rich. You think you have it all together. You think you are whole and healthy and you are poor, pitiful, blind, and naked because you're trying to live both. Don't put feet in both sides in the world and in following Christ. He says to the people of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. And the quote that needs to come from your mouth is, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Of all the advice that you can give for people graduating from high school or college or moving to the next form of their life or marriage or any of that, the simplest and the best advice is this. In whatever your endeavors are, in the workplace, in your family life, in your schooling, whatever you are going forth in, if the Lord is God, follow Him. And that means completely sacrificing whatever it takes to follow Him without any hesitation or regret. Elijah walked up on Mount Carmel and basically said, choose this day. And they, pay, they were like, well, we, we want to make sure we're serving the right God. And he says, I'll show you you're serving the right God. But after that, choose this day. Now, you want to know the tragedy of the nation of Israel? Ahab wasn't their last bad king. In fact, they had several more after him that were bad. One or two, maybe even that were worse than him. And the people of God did not choose to follow Yahweh completely. Each of us in this room have a choice today of whether we're going to serve all of the so-called gods in our lives. The plethora of choices that are out there of whether we're going to serve and follow the one true God. And I know that some of you sit through sermon week after week, month after month, year after year, and you basically want to know, I I think I'm in, I think I'm in, I think I'm in, and it seems like you're in, or maybe you're in, and then you fall away, or you do something else, or something else grabs your attention, and it's as if God is standing before us today and said, how many more sermons do you need to hear? Choose this day. If I am God, follow me. Some of you have a sin in your life that you just hold on to. You have a relationship in your life that you just hold on to. You have a commitment in your life that is taking you away from the Lord that you just hold on to. And God is saying to you today, choose this day. If I am the Lord God, follow me. Trust me. Give that up. Go with me. Go this direction. Do what I've asked you to do. And will you limp, waver, dance between those two any longer? I don't know individually what that looks like for you. The first step to that is if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is saying that it is time and I am ready 
Maybe there was a time in your life when you were part of a church or you kind of remember doing that or you think you may have done that, but you're not sure. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. For some of you in this room, that your, your, your decision, your choosing God, following Him, is that you need to take that first step of faith and say, I can't do this on my own. I'm a sinner. That means that I have done stuff that I know is not right in the sight of God, and I can't do anything about it, but I'm trusting you, God, to save me. Because Jesus Christ died for my sins, I am trusting you. Because he rose from the grave on the third day, I am trusting you. Because, Lord, I believe you are the Lord God, I am following you. For some of you, it is a first step of faith. In just a moment, I will be standing down here. I'd love to talk with you about that. Noah will be here. He'd love to have a conversation with you. For some of you in this room, it's baptism, that you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, but that was years ago, or that was last week, or that was yesterday, or a couple of years ago, or decades ago. But since you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've not been baptized, and you say, it is time to do that. Let me just tell you a couple of things. We can do that as quickly or as delayed as you need it to be. Now, I would say this, if you believe God's calling you to get baptized, delaying it like six months doesn't help. If you've been putting it off for 10 years and you say, let me get six more months, it doesn't help. We can baptize you in 10 minutes. Literally. Because we're going to baptize three other people. We got a shirt in the back. We got towels back there. We got blow dryers back there. If you're worried about your hair, we can do that. It's going to be at the end of the service. So when you leave, you don't have to worry about everybody being, we're going to do it at the last thing of the service today. We can do that today. And I'll be standing out here. If you say, I'm ready to get baptized, we'll have a conversation. And if you're ready and, and we're ready and we're going to go, we'll go up there and we'll put you in the baptismal pool and we'll do it right now. Some of you need to do that today and say, it's now I'm ready. Maybe you say, no, I, I want a couple people to be here. I want to use it as a witness, but it's time To choose this day and say, God, you are God and I'm going to follow you. For some of you, it's giving up a sin. For some of you, it is making a decision. For some of you, it's coming to a meeting tonight at 6 o'clock about Brazil. That God laid that on your heart. I had a conversation with someone this week. By the way, we're taking a trip to Brazil this September, and our intention is to go next June or July. If you are interested in either one of those, we don't have dates for June or July, I want you to come to the meeting tonight at 6 o'clock, okay? If you're interested in going to Brazil ever, I want you to come tonight at 6. I had a conversation this week with someone that said that it's time, and they said they know it's time because several years ago now in a sermon, they felt God tell them it was time, and they've waited, and now it's time. And maybe for you, it's not Brazil, it's something else. Somebody you're supposed to speak to. It's a decision you're supposed to make. It's a career change. It's a move. It's a decision to do something out of your comfort zone. It is something that you know God's calling you to do, and you've just hesitated to do it. And today you're saying, God, if you're God, I'm going to follow you. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And I don't hate for anyone to walk out of here today without settling that question. That if God is Lord... Are you following Him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for stories like Elijah in the Bible that show us these moments. And Lord, while the story and the confrontation is so cool, Lord, we also realize that the lesson here is so important for all of us. So relevant for us. And so, Lord, I pray that today, if there are those in this room that have not yet accepted you as their Savior, 
Lord, that today would be the day. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would be willing, just even in this moment, right now, to say, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. In fact, if you're here today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you say that I haven't accepted Christ, but it's time. I want to lead you in this prayer. God, I pray that you'll just help people to have the courage to do this. I'm just going to ask you to repeat after me in just a minute, but here's the deal. The words are not the most important. They are important, but the most important part is that this is the decision in your life. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, then I, I want to invite you to pray this way. Say, Heavenly Father, I come today and admit to you that I have failed to do all that you've called me to do And I have done things that are not pleasing to you. Lord, I have sinned. And Lord, I realize that I can do nothing about my sin on my own. So today, Lord, I tell you that I believe that you are the Son of God. That you lived a perfect life. That you died for my sins on the cross that you rose again from the grave. And so, Lord, I pray that today you would save my soul. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. And, Lord, I accept what you have done for me on the cross. And now today, Lord, I plan and promise to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I pray that in this moment you just give praise and thanks to God. And in just a moment when I say amen, that you come and find me or find Noah and tell us you just prayed that. That we can rejoice with you and talk with you about what that looks like and help you to take those next steps. Lord, I pray if there are those here today that need to be baptized, Lord, that you would bring them during this rites. If there are those that need to come pray here at the front, that need to have a conversation, that need us to pray for them, that you would bring them. But Lord, more than anything, we pray that your name is glorified in this place. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.